Hello and welcome to season three, episode seven of the Dayton Podcast. Ravi, how are you doing? Surviving. Uh, I think that is the best place to be right now, right? So you want to be surviving. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Uh, it's um, We're into our... And people keep counting weeks down, but normally you only count down when you know how many weeks you're going to be in lockdown, right? Mm. So <laughs> we currently don't know that. So yeah, it's um, it's it's a very interesting time. Very interesting time. I think I think it's more interesting for those of us uh, like me who I live I live alone. Um, so okay. last time yeah, I yeah. had familiar human contact was about a month ago. So I think oh more than a month actually, because I think wow. it was March tenth. Um, I hadn't thought of that. I mean, I yeah, I live with my girlfriend and a dog, so being lonely in both senses, not having a pet or even, um, you know, being able to socialize with family, that's that's a big one. Yeah, for sure. I think what's interesting is like it, you still get the uh, social exhaustion, but I think it's been replaced by Zoom or webinar or just <laughs> virtual social yeah. exhaustion. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. That's still there. Um, you kind of have to adapt to it uh, as we as we kind of go through the phases right it feels like we go through different phases of this lockdown first one is realization second one is reality and then the third one is frustration <laughs> i guess routine comes next right it just becomes normal right um i think that's right. what i'm slowly getting to is sort of like well this is my day now right like this is this is i get up i have breakfast right. i decide if i'm going to run now or if i'm going to run in the evening later yeah exactly yeah. and then that, that's about it but it's good um luckily enough we've been having some wonderful weather as well to peer out from inside Absolutely. And uh, I guess, you know, we want to try and bring a ray of positivity here. Um, of course. We, we've uh, we've pushed out the last two episodes. So if you haven't caught those out, you know, uh, go and catch those. Go have a listen. They are related to coronavirus, but they're looking at sort of different aspects of it. So definitely episodes to check out. Um, as we go into this current phase, an interesting topic came up in the last couple of weeks uh, focused around contact tracing. And basically this idea that... Um, you know, in order to get control of this virus, mm-hmm. what we have to do is develop a vaccine and the test. But then uh, because those take time and you want to try and allow society to kind of normalize in some sort of new way, as in, you know, let people go back to work, but obviously not in the sort of typical circumstances. You know, we all cram into sardine, sardine cans on a, on, a, on, a, on a train. But, you know, when there's a breakout, be able to track where that breakout's happening. So this is the concept of contact tracing. Yeah. And it sounds kind of very difficult. I think the old way of doing that is you simply ask the person, where have you been? Who have you spent time around? Um, and typically you have to spend a meaningful amount of time with, with someone for it to actually count, as it were. However, to, so, however to quote um, House, Dr. Yeah. Gregory House from the show House, uh, everybody lies, right? Like you can't really trust <laughs> trust people too much. So this is why the idea of contact tracing is coming about. I think that the, exactly. so, so the, the sort of purpose of this episode is to talk a bit about that, right? So th- there's um, a couple of different mm-hmm. uh, providers who are building building out a, an application for contract tracing. And I yep. think the mechanism for doing this is, is mobile phones, given that we all yep. Yep. largely have a smartphone and this is the best way of tracking people, um, as it were. So um, Apple and Google uh, are working together, allegedly, uh, to build out mm-hmm. a um, similar app for the both the App Store and the Google Play Store. Uh, there's yeah. a bunch of uh, the Vergecast, for example, uh, are doing weekly uh, podcasts, and they've they've talked about this in in, in those as well. Um, mm-hmm. But for me, this this sparked. We, we talked about this in the last episode. A couple of like you know the legislation that comes through during this time is kind of like you know when, when you've got a state of emergency after a terrorist attack, um, yeah. you can put through legislation to put an app on everyone's phone to know where they are and who they've been in contact with. However, mm-hmm. what you really want is 
do you trust that person, the government or the company uh, more? And I think that that's why we want to talk a bit about digital identity today uh, and how, yeah. how technology yeah. really uh, impacts and how we can use it to, for, for situations like this. Uh, but, but sort of things you need to be aware of and sort of the liberties you want to you want to share. Like um, on the Vergecast, there was uh, one, one of the three uh, hosts. One of them was heavily talking about this is how they get you, man. So they start yep. taking away your freedom uh, in, yep. in very yep. American terms. Exactly. I mean, I think the Americans refer to terrorism laws, which were brought in immediately after 9-11. In fact, they were sworn in hours after 9-11. Watch the film Vice. What a, what a film that is. <laughs> they've stayed in place up until now. They were never temporary rules. They've just basically become permanent rules. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's probably worth just very briefly explaining uh, what contact tracing is so, uh, in, in, a, in a technological sense. So Apple and Google have basically formed a partnership. Uh, Tim Cook um, and uh, Sundar Pichai, the Google CEO, Tim Cook, Apple CEO, they basically got together and they're developing two things. Now, the first implementation is very simple. It's essentially an API. Um, this is an interface that allows uh, companies like the NHS or in America, the different healthcare system providers to basically hook into the uh, phone's native uh, operating system to access information that's stored in the Bluetooth chip. And so what's going to happen is that the Bluetooth chip it's essentially going to be almost broadcasting itself out to people. Um, by the way, this is opt-in. So you actually have to opt-in for this capability in the app of the provider. And so you can broadcast your Bluetooth details. And what other phones will do is they'll basically be listening into that. And if you're around someone for, let's say, 15 to 20 minutes, it will actually remember who you are around using that Bluetooth sort of broadcast signal. So let's say I'm Tim, you're Ravi, we're in the same room. Your phone is pinging my phone. Yep. If they do that for 20 minutes, your phone logs that it was... Uh, near mine, and that's stored in the phone for 14 days. Now, if you imagine this over the 14-day period, let's say three weeks later I then get coronavirus, well, it's possible for me to say in an app that I have coronavirus, and that will immediately notify the healthcare providers of all the other devices that I've spent a meaningful amount of time around. And then that will allow the government and healthcare providers to very quickly trace um, people they should be tracing to help kind of control the lockdown. So, so immediately in in my head, this this conjures the. Um, so I've been watching the Batman, uh, the, the the Christopher Nolan Batman's recently, uh, just because right, right. I, I, I maintain to this day that Batman Begins is by far and away the best film of the three. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so so in in the dark night, in order to find the Joker, what the, what Batman does is uh, shows this um, technology he has of uh, turning everyone's cell phone as they call it in America, into a receiver. So you're getting almost a radar, sorry, sonar, radar sort of like feel to map the entire city to find where, where the Joker is in order to right. stop him blowing up two boats. Now, it, for me, that's what this sounds like. Right? I mean, it, the, the thing to add here is contact tracing as, as a concept, as in the technology that does this, the Bluetooth pinging happens already. I think we talked about this in the last right. episode, that in order does, to yeah. get good Wi-Fi, or you know, um, sharing sharing contacts. Your Bluetooth is always on for a reason nowadays, right? So before you used to turn off your Bluetooth because you knew you, you know the assumption was that it used up power. Uh, yeah. Now your Bluetooth is always on because it has to be in order to, for it to find out where you are and triangulate your position on Google Maps when there's no signal. Bluetooth helps do that, right? It, it sort of gives you a rough idea of where you are based on that that circle. Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. Wi-Fi finding out where you are and the, the Wi-Fi hotspots nearby. Uh, if you have a smartwatch or a smart device. The Bluetooth is what communicates with that. The second you turn off Bluetooth, you know your 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 wearables become redundant. You know you, you you're not getting a good location on your yeah. on on where you are and all these different things. So 
it's quite interesting to think about that as a concept. So um, when, when, the, when we were talking about this earlier, I remember um, my boss mm-hmm. uh, talking about, you know, the, the only way forward is having some sort of passport. You know, so when you go to uh, Kenya, for example, or any, any of the right. that area, you have to have the yellow fever passport to say you've been vaccinated. So similarly, mm-hmm. I feel like you, you, this is where we're going to get to. You can have to have a badge or lanyard or passport on you to make sure. Mm-hmm. So, but in order to make sure you never forget that, you need to make sure that's on something that you will probably never forget, which is, well, your smartphone. Um, so I think that's where the ideas come from. I think it's a, it's a very smart idea. However, you can see, you know, my, my reaction is, is akin to Lucius Fox in, in The Dark Knight, which, you know, is, is kind of sick. It's like beautiful and elegant and works. However, it's also yeah. really, really creepy. Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's a really tough, it's a really tough sort of... Um, Moral decision. Yeah, it's, a, it's, it's almost a paradigm, isn't it? Because you've gone, you've gone from this position where if you'd suggested anything like this in any other scenario, you, you wouldn't have gone near it with a barge bolt. Mm-hmm. Um, but we now live in a world where um, I think there's some surveys being done of um, the NHSX. So NHSX is the National Health Service Digital Transformation Unit. It's a really long name. It needs an acronym that's better than that. Um, that's um, why they have the X, Tim. <laughs> well, the X stands for four things, apparently. So <laughs> it's algebra, it's simple um, algebra. <laughs> uh, yeah, they, they surveyed 6,000 people. Uh, and apparently only 74% of users would actually be keen to install uh, the contact tracing capability on their device, right, mm-hmm. to opt into it. And, you know, if you look at Singapore, uh, the actual figure of those who actually, you know, were willing to do that was 17%. So there's a, you know, there's a wide gulf of um, uh, sort of uh, cooperation there. And then the other thing is this kind of system only really works if it has really good coverage. Like you, you say 74%, well, that's a good ratio. Well, again, that still doesn't give you the full picture, right? Because it, it all depends on the locality of that of that uh, sort of concentration. Let's say 74% and the majority of that is in London. Mm-hmm. It gives you poor visibility in other regional sort of geographical areas. So um, it's kind of challenged partly by the lack of participation. The system only works when everyone's in it together. But then also there's a flip side of that, which is trust. You're not going to have full participation. If people don't trust that this kind of capability isn't going to go away once this is over. We're all happy to do it and comply, but people want to trust. And the two companies we're being asked to trust are two companies that, <laughs> let's just say, don't have a great trust relationship with the public. Um, Google, for obvious reasons. Apple, even more so, if you look at their sort of um, more recent faux pas with battery life and uh, all, all that kind of stuff. People inherently but- don't trust motives behind these companies but i think what's interesting is you know the the apple apple is still more trusted because there's they're so public about uh we're doing this to stop your privacy oh yeah by the way we're going to hide about how much battery life you've actually got um so it's almost like uh the the, like huawei is a similar example right so they they basically tell oh yeah yeah, we're doing exactly what every other mobile phone company is doing which is collecting data on you we're just telling you about it right exactly and 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 it's an interesting it's an interesting dilemma because you see what what I was thinking in my mind. I was walking Toby before we had this podcast, and I was thinking in my mind, well, Toby being this, your dog. Can this? Uh, sorry, yeah, I should say Toby <laughs> being. My... <laughs> I don't. I really hope no one walks their kid or anyone <laughs> like like. <laughs> can only literally be my dog. I think in that, in that context, right? <laughs> Unprecedented but, um, times. Uh, fair enough fair enough i wasn't just going out on a walk for kicks um <laughs> so no i was thinking about it and i thought well you know do you really need contact tracing to be able to figure out you know movements of people like could you could you string together a series of companies that as a collective 
could actually do the same thing without you ever knowing. Okay, and Google is probably the closest company to that, uh, if that makes sense. Um, if Google and Apple were one company, my word, that that would be a really scary prospect. It kind of highlights the importance of competition in a market mm-hmm. because if that was just one company that was doing that, owned that entire sort of landscape. They already have that innate capability internally. I'm not saying they use it, but they already have that capability. Right. So 98% of all smartphones are running on iOS or Android. So Exactly, exactly. But then I thought, what about mobile phone providers, right? They have a pretty good, like your phone, every five to 10 minutes is broadcasting its location back to the cell towers. Mm-hmm. And that cell tower information is used to triangulate a phone. Now, when the police need to, they can access that information and triangulate your location uh, with an incredible accuracy. And that history goes back several months. Mm-hmm. It's not just like the here and now, it goes backwards. And so I always wondered, well, could 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 you implement a contact tracing system whereby you could not necessarily be as accurate as I was in a room with Ravi, but you could say there's a coronavirus outbreak in your area. Everyone in this area stay at home for the next two weeks, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and sort of restrict restrict moving that way because I find it really hard to believe that you're going to be able to successfully, um, you know, get this contact tracing app to work. You need some sort of more broader system that is smart, but is smart in a way that isn't intrusive. And I, I almost think putting something on your phone is more intrusive than, you know, the government broadly being aware that oh, you're in London on a particular day, right? Oh, 100%. I think people would be more comfortable with government knowing you're in SE15 or SE13 on a particular day compared to you're in a room with Ravi in that particular day, right? Absolutely. I, I think that that's that you're, you're hitting the nail on the head there. Um, for example, because, you know, the second you put something on someone's phone, you're just like, right, what are they looking at? No, they right. just don't want to, they want to know where you are based on your Bluetooth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I've just said to, I mean, this is my biggest bugbear with the Android store, right? Because in order yeah. to allow certain apps, you have to almost say accept all or it's not going to install, like including... <laughs> Like voice, like was it the listen to your voice calls or access to your microphone? Right. So why do you need access to my microphone? You can't reject just a few. You have to accept all of it or none of it. Exactly. Like, uh, it's, it's, it's a very weird paradigm. Whereas right? iOS has a bit more customization at that point, right? So you do have a bit more control. Um, yeah. So yeah, I mean, exactly. I mean that that's what's interesting to me. I think that that's uh, using the um, cell towers really does make sense. Now. Yeah. If we talk about digital identity in general, right? So if you're right. if you're linking this all to smartphones, you can get a very big brother because you know, for example, more and more people year by year are adding their health information onto their phones. Okay, so right. um, uh, I think the because um, iOS has a great uh, medical ID thing, so you can set it when someone you found someone I don't know uh, come across someone that's unconscious. Uh, if you've got your your phone on you and it's an iPhone, you can add in your medical ID with co- emergency contacts some information that you can add in there as well. So that that's all great, yeah. happy days. However, what if that information then, you know, is used for other things, for profiling? Now, exactly. Now, historically, the best person to speak to you to understand who you are in, in a like pseudo digital identity has been your banks, right? So um, yeah, we, we've talked about Experian in the past and the mosaic codes that they have. Um, but really, the, the, those these are the people that you have more, most of the information about you, based on how you know, you can, you can get a good understanding of who someone is by their spending habits, by the things they register to with their bank account. You know, all of these different things you can figure out based on their um, their, their, their sort of his credit history, etc. Right? Exactly, exactly. So, and I think it's I think sorry, sorry just just to finish my point, I think that the, what this really boils down to is who do you trust? Do you trust a government? 
which can change based on party and agenda and all of this stuff who are funded by in the US super PACs and in the UK by uh, unions, etc., and lobbying boards? Or do you trust a company who's driven by profits and by shareholders? Or do you trust a bank, again, who had also driven by profits and shareholders? And the most recent crisis before this one was caused by uh, greedy banks and the you know, the um, abolishment of the Glass-Steagall Act that made meant that you couldn't have savings and investments as two two separate things. Uh, sorry, it's two exactly. joint things. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's an interesting thing. Like, who, who do you trust the most out of this, like, this is your menu of government, private company, tech company, or bank? Like, who, who's the best person to leave your PID information with? Well, I guess for most people, it's like, well, the bank already knows who I am. So... All right. Right. Do I just leave it there? Right. They, they. I feel like a bank in the in the in the scenario in front of you, bank and maybe tech companies have you already. So, at what degree do you want to control and give them more and more? And this is the thing. Like I've I've always felt that, you know, this, this the words the word demographic and identity are sort of incorrectly interchangeable mm-hmm. in, in typical sort of discussion right so when you look at um, i guess i uh, just did that right? experian yeah exactly this is the <laughs> you walked into my trap <laughs> um you know if i talk about experian just as an example right <clears throat> what they actually know about you is your demographic they don't know that you are tim nguena and well actually they do but yeah. they don't know <laughs> that you <laughs> They don't know that you, um, you know, what you do on weekends. They don't know necessarily, um, you know, what you just bought at Tesco yesterday. But they do know that uh, you're the kind of person who's likely to go to Tesco. They do know that you're the kind of person who's likely to do certain things on a weekend Mm -hmm. based on your past behaviors. Mm -hmm. So they can't necessarily define you. That's your identity. But they can give you a demographic. And the demographic allows marketeers to target you in a broad sense that actually makes sense for businesses. The difference with identity is that it actually defines, it defines exactly who you are. It, it, it gives you a unique identification. It, it separates you from the other thousands of people that have the same demographic as you. So in a group of, let's say, 30,000 in a marketing campaign, my identity should be able to signify who I am. And that's the sort of next level of sort of uh, information we're getting to now with the way online systems and digital systems work. Because they all store information and log information. I think this is a big thing with um, VPNs. Uh, VPNs don't have logs. Logs are typically, you know, track informations from uh, servers, right? So server basically says, hey, I made an internet connection with Tom. Great. Okay, bye. Now, that is information that tracks who you are. Yeah. Now, if you're not storing that, then you have no logs on who you are. And therefore, it is a fully private system. Uh, so this is how VPNs typically work. Now, if you go back to mobile phone companies in your bank, I've always had discussions with you about what is, what is a bank in the modern day context? Mm-hmm. You know, they used oh, to stay... mate. I think that conversation <laughs> is where we started the thing of we should just do a podcast. I think that right, was the conversation. Right, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And you know, my, my, to save everyone a lot of time and uh, debate, my view is always that banks have lost their way. They used to be about money. They used to be about storing your assets, right? Whether it was financial assets or personal assets, jewelry or whatever. Today, they basically should be pivoting to this new concept of storing your digital assets, right? Because you don't no longer need no longer need vaults. Cash is a disappearing concept. Um, your net worth is purely digital nowadays. And as we go on further and further, currencies being almost replaced with sort of uh, your assets in sort of lots of interesting ways. And so their whole purpose should be about asset tracking which is why they're really big on bitcoins right because it allows you to track assets in lots of different ways that's the real value of a bank 
And now if we go back to identity, that's where a bank really kind of can play a really big role. And that's where you see them going into things like health insurance, because that gets them closer and closer to kind of figuring out not just not just who exactly you are, but what kind of services you're likely to need at exactly when. This is what Monzo does really well, actually. Yeah. Um, you know, they, they, they put the service right in front of you right when you need it. Uh, they they want to want to turn themselves into a marketplace for um, financial information, not just like a simple you know, run off the mill bank. Mm-hmm. And I think it, I think it's an interesting sort of we're we're at this junction without really realizing it. And contact tracing is one of these things that cr- crosses a threshold without the discussion happening because we're too busy looking the other way, right? <laughs> yeah, we're we're at this point where we're too busy paying attention to the health crisis, which is the right thing. But because we're looking the other way, this whole swathe of technologies is, is, is coming through. I doubt very much that this example of Google and Apple working together will be the, well, the last time it will happen, right? Suddenly, this crisis has created a situation where they can collaborate in a, in a very open and transparent way about mm-hmm. how something works. They can figure out how their two technologies can actually interoperate in that sense. And there's no doubt that this will create a benefit for both companies long term. If, if not, if if at least just figuring out how to work with each other, right? <laughs> I, I think, I think. You, you, I mean, we talked a bit about the the innovation step about and the opportunity here for technology in this space where we, it's almost accelerating people working remotely, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, right. But yeah, it, it's almost a, you know to, to use uh, every, uh, you know the. Uh, I've got to be careful what I say here, but <laughs> the, the love <laughs> the love for the war analogies, right? Um, Right, right. But, but war has always been a time for innovation, like penicillin, etc. So it could be a time where we, we start bringing in uh, ideas of technology that may have may have otherwise not been considered. Um, right. I think I'd, 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 I I mean, the digital identity extends, I think, a bit further into the, the tech and social media debate, right? So, for example, right, right. you know, when, when there are cases of abuse and bullying online or racism, and people um, hide behind an, an, an anonymity. Um, there's, there, there needs to be some sort of verification about who you are, etc. And I think this will grow. And I think if there then becomes a centralized system for uh, this thing can ne- never be centralized, right? Because you're, you're talking about people's identities here. Right, right. Um, but, you know, in, in some cases, you know, the, the idea of having one place to find uh, or one authentic authentic place to verify your identity or many different ways so you can choose your provider. Um, that that really will help that discussion as well, right? So the the digital identity will not only uh, give you benefit in terms of allowing you access to certain services, but you know think about like prevention of fraud, um, of online crime, uh, right, right. Ch- changing the way we work with um, things that are time consuming or might seem repetitive, mm-hmm. um, access to goods and services that are age restricted, or you know even even things you're entitled to because they, there's a better understanding right. of who you are. Uh, and anyway, right. you, you don't you, the 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 chances that you're frauding a government system, and of course, government systems are the last to uh, be updated to the modern world. Uh, yeah. You know, things like paying tax should be so much easier than they are, right? Or like, yeah, imagine like a fully automated tax and benefit system where you, you don't you don't need to do anything, right? You just you just live your life. It's as fully you optimized, are. right? <laughs> and uh, you know, if you have an income, great, the tax comes out of that. If you don't, you're unemployed. You don't have to notify someone you're unemployed. The system knows that. Uh, and, you know, if you want to go out and look for a job and you get employed, it just all works together. At the moment, there's a lot of things we do, which is just 
we, we are kind of the hamsters in the wheel, right? Yeah. But like, think about the gig economy, right? So the gig economy could right. be that you're getting yeah. uh, $20 this week, £20 next week, and then 6000 6, in, in the three weeks that that's been like a backdated thing. Right now, you have yeah. to do all these things to make sure that they could go right into the correct system. Some people might pay, yeah. be paying you via PayPal because it's easier, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah. proving identity can suddenly become simple, secure, and private. So I, I sound like um, some sort of advert for it now, right? Um, <laughs> but, you know, th- there, are, there are upsides to this. You know, th- there are things where you can start building out who you are and, 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 and as long as there's some sort of multi-factor authentication piece or fingerprinting, fingerprinting system and encryption enabled in these systems then then it works um otherwise but again you come back to the same point like who do you trust who do you trust in this who who do you trust in these scenarios yeah yeah really really tough um i i i think the one the one aspect that i think we can we kind of seek solace in is that i'm actually glad that it's apple and google doing this (laughs) does that make sense because Mm -hmm. if you look at china where the government did this instead right and you know, when the government does this, it's got a completely different oh, level God, of yeah. uh, sort of connotation. Like in many ways, I'm glad two unrelated companies who have a healthy competition have come together to do this because it's a healthy reason for them to break apart and remove that capability from their devices. Whereas a government, well, <laughs> well, given how long it's taking to, you know, do very basic things like PPE and, you know, resources and getting people, um, you know, income that have been furloughed or unemployed, just think how long it would take to unwind something like this if the government implemented it, right? <laughs> At least I know that Apple can switch off the feature on my iPhone as soon as this is all over, right? They, they give the capability of the NHS. As soon as this is all over, I have a fairly confident stance that Apple will switch that feature off. And if they don't, I have a choice as a customer to go to a platform. Right, so like, like a PR disaster for Apple is absolute trash because they're, you know, right. versus a PR disaster for a government. Like, the government is a Which PR is an election. <laughs> the government is a PR disaster. It's called an election, mate. Yeah. Uh, look at Brexit. <laughs> That's all that happens. And, you know, these things are short-termist. You know, they're three, four years. You know, companies like Apple and Google have the capability to achieve things that governments can't because they have had the leaders in those positions for decades almost. Yeah. These people have been working in that company with the same mission and aim. And so they're doing things that, fr- frankly, you know, government should have this capability. It shouldn't, to be, it shouldn't be Apple and Google, you know, sourcing masks, for goodness sakes, right? Like, this is the Absolutely. kind of thing that the, the, the uh, government should be doing. It shouldn't have to be Apple pulling so, know, strings in its supply chain. Just, just on that, again, we're very close to, especially the last two episodes, turning into a policy right, and right, government right, episode, right. but like a podcast yeah. rather. But I think the other thing is, um, thinking about this as a, a government as a business sense, which is, how difficult it is to get a government contract and become an approved supplier of services and goods for a government agency, be that a council, be that a, um, the health authority, you know, there are quick and easy solutions, but I think private businesses are able to make those decisions faster without due process. And I think, you know, again, like I said, um, I feel like this is a great time to hide bad news. This is a great time to slide something under the door that might have otherwise been, been forgotten. Um, Mm -hmm. but yeah, you have to think about the due process. So yes, it's very easy to say like, you know, they should be just super simple just to be like, yeah, we'll take all of the PPE, but 
you know, that there are approved suppliers and agreements and all these things in place that could just screw the government for years to come if, if, they, if they're broken or breached. Um, so it's quite yeah, and quite an interesting yeah. time in that sense as well. But I think in terms of data and tech and digital identity, um, again, there's, there, I, I'd agree with you. Like you, you almost feel a private company or a bank or something are more likely to turn something off, right? Right. Uh, they they can be they can be the Lucius Fox um, typing in the password and watching it blow up behind him. Right. Um, there, there is there is one aspect there that I think is going completely under the radar, and yeah. that is the, the world of advertising. Right. right. The world of advertising has been incredibly innovative about getting around uh, privacy blockers, whether it's ad blockers. Oh, or, yeah. It's uh, a fascinating fight. Like it, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a constant innovation war between advertising companies and technology companies to stop them getting the data they want. And what's interesting is we're all at home spending more and more time online, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I, <laughs> I can't not imagine the fact that the, all this additional data is somehow helping advertising companies better profile because oh, all yeah. the world's all the world's activity is being channeled through one platform. I mean, who's advertising on billboards? No one. No one's seeing them. Who's advertising on TV? Okay, yes, that's a pretty popular thing to to advertise on. But again, lots of the content is actually on YouTube. It's actually on social media where people are staying in touch. So those those activities are actually happening through a laptop, through a phone, rather than the typical TV. The TV is just a watching platform. You can't learn anything about someone from it other than the shows they watch. Whereas your laptop, you know, who you're talking to, which websites you're visiting, what kind of transactions are you making? Everything is being forced through this funnel. And this funnel is going to build an understanding and capability that I think will be quite dangerous once we come out of this sort of uh, cycle. So I'm really hoping that, you know, everyone ramps up their digital savviness, as it were, uh, and starts to really get to grips. As we're all online, everyone spends a bit more time being savvy about privacy. I'm really hoping more people are using VPNs, they're using ad ad blockers and trackers, very basic techniques to stop their privacy being invaded. Or maybe they're not, right? (laughs) I I said I hope. I didn't say they are. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I, I think you're right. I think that the tech literacy definitely, hopefully, will be, be increasing uh, over this time because people are more realizing like the dangers of online and the, the, the sort of things they're having to go through. Uh, right. You know, they're spending more and more time in front of screens, right? So, like, I mean, after work, I always end up sitting in the garden reading for a bit just to get away from screens that I'm around all day. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's a yeah. interesting time. I think that I think that's a good place to leave it, right? Because I think. Right. 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 Yeah. I agree. Um, yeah, well, that's that's three Corona related things on the top, on on the trot. But I think you know, similar similar to, I guess Brexit, where we we won't stop talking about it. This is something that we can always refer to. And I mean, I joked early on that this would be this would be a fantastic exam question to be in the future about him sort of exogenous shocks on an economics exam. Um, right. <laughs> but yeah, it's a very interesting kind of little uh, lots of theories and games being played out in real life here at exactly. the same time. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so it's quite fascinating. Um, and, but, but yeah, so just, just to the listeners, like, do send us in like topics you do want us to cover. Like we said, we've got a couple of things in our back pocket to talk about uh, in, in the coming weeks. But um, yeah, do reach out and let us know what you're, what you're interested in hearing us talk about or if there is anything in particular that you've seen or heard uh, that you'd like myself or Tim to debate. Perfect. And I'm just, I'm just, okay. gonna, I'm just gonna finish on a, on a shout out. So if you haven't checked this out already, Tim's done a bunch of, well, oh, no. a bunch of great work that's um, started <laughs> off with sketch notes. So if you didn't check oh, this out gosh. already, um, sketch noting is a great technique, and, and Tim spent his, um, what was it your staycation uh, last Literally week, learning how to five do days. this. Yeah, it was good fun. I have to say, it was a, 
it was more of a creative journey than it was like me trying to do something as a piece of work. But um, no, I yeah, no, it was really, really good fun. And I'm just really warmed by the reception. People have really enjoyed the video. So yeah. And more to come, I hope. The mention. Uh, yeah, this is the pressure now. Like uh, I need to try and make sure I'm not Lauren Hill with a one-hit wonder of an album or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> of all the one-hit wonders you could have gone for. Well, that's the thing. Lauren Hill had such a great voice, right? Had a, such a great uh, Fuji's album, and then her own album was "Miseducation of Lauren Hill." is probably one of the greatest <laughs> albums of all time, right? And then nothing has ever come since. Oh wow! <laughs> what a note to end. Uh, <laughs> if you disagree, if you disagree, if you think Lauren Hill has had other hits. Let me know. But honestly, uh, it's no. So anyway, no, I've got lots of pressures <laughs> to follow. Follow up that one video. I've, I've had literally countless messages on that topic as well. So I think every message has ended. I'm looking forward to see what you do next. Just, <laughs> I'm just going to put all those messages in the drawer and carry on as I was, basically, and just set out to do what I aim to do, which is just try and make Tableau easier to understand. So, yeah. No, that's what we'll do. Yeah. Excellent. Cool. So uh, I think that's that's a great time to great place to leave it. Um, everyone take care. Let us know your thoughts um, at Dayton Pod on Twitter uh, and DaytonPodcast.com as well. So yeah, until we speak to you next, take it easy. All right. Take it easy. Catch you in the next one.